God, I forgot about the box. Yeah. That's um, based on the short story. Is that the one where they're literally in a box? That's no. Like, no. This one is a guy... Was um, that the cube, then? Yeah, that's yeah, the cube. That's the cube. cube. <laughs> that's, that's a different kind of box. God, Lee, Lee, how, how dare you? I, that's the how cube. How could I have gotten that mixed The box is where uh, a guy arrives at your door with um, a box that inside is a button, and if you press it, someone will die, and you'll get a lot of money. Oh, cool. Yeah, and it's just sort of like, can you live with that? Yeah, right. Pressy, pressy. (laughs) But like, well, it's just because the initial short story is just that like the guy shows up and like the husband and wife debilitate, and eventually the wife is like, fuck it, pushing it, and the guy's like, great, I'm going to reset the box and give it to someone you don't know now. And so it's just sort of like the idea that like Mm -hmm. you are getting this money, but like remember in the back of your head that like at some point this would come back to bite you in the ass because like it's going to come back to you anyway. Yeah, Or, or if you don't press the button, does it stay with you? Does no. the buck stop no. with you? No. Well, then fuck it. I'm going to press yeah. the button. Everyone else is going to press yeah. the button. <laughs> the, the Richard Sorry. Kelly movie really, like, goes off in a lot of different directions with yeah, it. Like, yeah, it yeah. uses that as kind of, like, the jumping off point in the first 20 minutes and then just, like, goes from there. It goes not, I yeah. know. I, I would be fascinated to see what he does. It is, also, it is also set in Boston, so there are scenes, like, at the BPL I'm sorry. and stuff <laughs> like that. Do we want to do this movie? I mean, maybe we should. We can yeah, we look at later in this year. we got to press the button what? Yeah, press the button. See what happens. Take it to a dunce. <laughs> yeah. 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 Come on. Welcome. Yeah. Huh. There's plenty of room for everybody, man. Yeah. Great. Come on. Yeah. And welcome to a new episode of Why Did We Watch This, the podcast where three friends sit down with a troubled movie, a themed cocktail, and discuss what worked, what didn't, and how they would fix it. I am Chris Luscious Tits Ravel. I am Chris Luscious Tits Ravel. I am Lee. Della Handy. <laughs> and I am Brendan Shitty Filters a Popping Drishla. <laughs> You can't see me right now, but I've got a bit of a yellow filter surrounding me. <laughs> I'm also going to be sped up and slow. The sun, and your, your, your eyes are just these bottomless pits of shadow. <laughs> yes. and the earth has no ozone. Like <laughs> yes. Everything is all being blasted aggressively blanched out. And like yeah. full and radiation like, yeah. of the sun. Backlit. Like yes. we all have radiation halos around yes. our, <laughs> our dark forms. Um, and if, if, if obviously all of this is coming together in your mind, that we're doing... Uh, 2005's? I Did believe. you not look? Okay. Yeah, it's 2005. Okay. 2005's got it. Domino. Domino. Starring Karen Knightley. Starring Karen Knightley. <laughs> a bounty hunter. I'm Karen Knightley, and I'm a bounty hunter. And I'm a bounty hunter. <laughs> starring uh, Puffface McGee. All right, starring Karen Knightley, Mickey Rourke, Thank Edgar you. Ramirez, Delroy Lindo, Monique, Christopher Walken, Lucy Liu. Uh, we're, we're trailing off a little bit, like Brian Austin Green, Ian Searing, mm. Macy Gray. Did you get Delroy? Did you say Delroy? Yeah, I said Delroy. Okay. Uh, Dabney, Dabney Cole Person, <laughs> Jacqueline Bissett. Like, there are Tom Waits. To be fair, like, this. There this, are people. There's a lot of people in this movie, a lot of talent in this movie. Whether or not we see that talent. Right. Directed, of course, by Tony Scott. Of course. You know, obviously when you think of Domino, you think of. Tony Scott. Venerated British director Tony Scott. Well, I mean, to be fair, also, like. You know, like he's done right. He's done Top Gun. He right. did The Hunger, Unstoppable, about a train that couldn't slow down. Um, <laughs> the Palm One Two Three remake. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like he's definitely done a lot of like actiony shit that would lead you to believe. I that, would, like he's not a bad choice. I for would this. say the departure for me though is, and we'll definitely get into the style of Domino, but 
I find his movies to be more conventional in their presentation, and this felt like a radical departure. I would say that's true. I, I would say it feels like he is trying so hard to in this update? movie. No, just to, like to feel cool. Like he right. wants you to look at this movie and be like, "Domino's fucking cool who, as hell." Who, I gotta say, like, who's responsible for like? There's a composer that does score, but who's responsible for needle drops in movies? What? There's sometimes like, like a music director. Whoever is responsible yeah. for that feels like they're trying really hard. Oh, I yeah. Agree. I mean, it does feel like like Tony Scott like issued the edict down. It was like, everyone, try hard Listen, for this movie. There's a, this like, movie okay. has one rule, and that rule is cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> the rule of cool, baby. Uh, but before we get into that, because, uh, you know, there is so much to get into in this crazy Pandora's box of a movie, mm-hmm. I think we should talk about, like, what drink did we have to get us through this? Uh, so the drink that we had for this movie was called an English. Angel of Fire, and it is pretty simple. It's two ounces of mezcal, two ounces of pineapple juice, one ounce of agave syrup, one ounce of lime juice, and some jalapeno slices. So you just add the mezcal, the pineapple juice, the agave syrup, and the lime juice to a shaker with a couple of jalapeno slices. You muddle the jalapeno in the shaker and then add some ice, shake it until it's chilled, and strain into a glass over more ice, and then you add a little uh, jalapeno slice to garnish. And I cut the seeds out of the jalapeno slice so that it wouldn't like fall in in make things even spicier. I thought it was delicious. Yeah, I really liked this it. This would have been at home in our summer of Marks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is, I mean, it is like, like I said, the, the two things I went into with this drink is I wanted it to, one, look yellow, because this movie is very yellow. Yellow. And two, I think it should be kind of like spicy and vaguely like Southern Californian mm-hmm. in vibes, because this movie obviously takes, takes place almost entirely in um, Nevada yeah. and California. So it needed to have that sort of like desert, desolate vibes to it, which obviously, you know, like Mezcal and Tequila being from Mexico. This- evoke that sort of idea in most Hollywood movies where everything is like yellow yes. and you know oh my god it's very uncivilized it's the and, yeah. it's the Mexico slash Middle East filter light filter right, right. yeah um, yeah but yeah we liked it I, I understand maybe Lee we're not it wasn't Lee's thing um yeah I don't like Mezcal I knew I wasn't gonna like Mezcal when going into it but I not every drink is gonna be for me so I had a sip it's the kind of drink that if there was less of it and it was given to me by a friend or mm-hmm. if I'd ordered it mistakenly at a bar thinking I would like it and I didn't I would drink the whole thing and mm-hmm. I would pretend to like it and, good job thank you very much it would be <laughs> active torture I would just sort of get through it right I wouldn't like mm-hmm. necessarily enjoy it but I'd be like yes yeah, this is a drink I could drink though I could have drank that whole thing mm-hmm. but it was a lot and I didn't want it and it was also I hadn't had my coffee yet I mean I mean yeah it was what I want to talk about is I I had most of yours yeah. and my own and I had nothing to eat today prior to it yeah so I'm kind of feeling the effects really? of this a little bit I'm feeling a little bit I'm not like super drunk but I'm a little bit like god I should have like stopped at 7-Eleven and grabbed like a snack or something you know just to have something in my body a little more of an anchor right yeah because it was just kind of a lot of alcohol and juice being thrown oh, yeah. into my body it's gonna feel like nap time once we're yeah. done yeah uh, <laughs> but I think like if you had like the combination of things if you were just swapped out mezcal for regular tequila I might like it a lot I don't mm-hmm. know it was like the I could sense the spice and like the the like the citrus a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have just a little bit of the heat on my lips. Yeah, I do which too. Is nice. But it is that it is that mezcal smokiness. Yeah, and that it's not for that type of smokiness is. Ugh. But you know, know what? what Your sacrifice here is putting you in the running for podcaster of the year. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, podcast. I can't yes. wait. It's iHeartRadio, I believe, what does that one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? 
this movie is basically chaos incarnate. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I we, think it's important to, I, I know we're going to get into the plot as it were, and like the style of the movie, but I think it's important to say that the style of this movie is like arguably schizophrenic. Well, in terms and of, it's jumping all over the place. It's yeah. so overpronounced that it, in my opinion, and I feel that you two agree, it kind of overcomes whatever sense of connective thread or coherency this movie has. Yeah. So I think it would be wise to try to say from what we experienced on screen, mm-hmm. what was the story and then compare okay. that to Wikipedia. I, I just kind of want to nail down specifically <laughs> the the big like, the sort of core the plot. FBI. Yeah. Okay. Not the whole plot. I just want to figure out if I have the it right. Situation. The heist yeah. slash gang slash mafia thing. Right. Where where in this do we want to start? So let me let me just lay out some facts. Sure. Yeah. Have you guys confirm or deny these yeah. facts okay. or interrupt with your own theories? Yeah. Okay. So okay, the the guy that own the the guy that has the money stolen. Right. Dabney Cole person. Yes. <laughs> yes. He yes. was gonna give that money to the mafia. That I can't. He has. I don't know. Tell you. He has ten million dollars. Right. He had a lot yes. of money. Right. That got and stolen. He owes it it got yeah. stolen. The mafia guy. It's somehow connected to the mafia. Right. I, it, it, it is like yeah. It, it is something where like because this money has gone missing, it yes. is a bigger problem than just his money They're has con- gone missing. It's connected to the mafia. So yeah. They, they, they have a nice handy diagram at some point. Right. It has daddy cool person <laughs> and mafia guy. Right. And and it, there's a big arrow between them. Yeah. And there's also this mousy lawyer who works for Dabney Colperson who's, right. like, doing all of the running around work. And right. when the money goes missing, Dabney Colperson calls Delroy and says... Delroy calls him. Delroy calls yeah. him and is like, I... Which is super suspicious. Right, I agree. If someone called you and was like, hey, I think I can help you get your money back, I'd be like, interesting. Hey, this is... Yeah. Hey, you know how I, you hired my armored car company yeah. and it, my armored car got stolen? Yeah. Well, I happen to also run a bounty hunter company. Right. And I, I will use my bounty hunters. It's just like, that's instant alarm bells. And, and they kind of instantly say, like, yeah, that sounds crazy. Yeah. That sounds like an inside job. And it's like, how far did... Is Delroy dumb right. in this movie? I right. don't know. Maybe he is. I mean, they're all a little they're dumb, all a to little be fair. Yeah. yeah. But whatever. That's what he does. Right. And Dad McCall person's like, great, you will get the money back for me. Yes. And they get the thieves mm-hmm. who end up being these four guys who did not do it. Right. right. One, Two of whom are the sons of the mob guy. Yeah. <sighs> that, that connection felt underexplained so for right. me. The reason why it's those four people is because Delroy knows that... His mistresses and gay, gay male friend. <laughs> yes, his, his like harem and gay his best harem friend. Plus gay best friend <laughs> have done the real crime of stealing the money, but because because they because the great Arden's operation. Right. Yes, but they needed a patsy right. group of thieves. Correct. So Letitia, sort of the HBIC, yeah, yeah, in charge, is like HBIC in charge is redundant. <laughs> I bitch um, in charge in charge. She. Happens to have four social security numbers right. of yes. kids slash get men. The, the, of, of the mob boss's son. Two of them are the mob boss's right. son. And, and wanted fake them, IDs. And she has them because they put their info into her scheme to get fake IDs. Right. She also, they established that she also has like a side gig issuing fake, fake IDs. IDs. Out of the DMV. Out right. of the DMV. And she is, so he somehow, uh, Mafia Kid's son knows this. Gives her this, him, his friends, and two other people's, so like, make me fake IDs. Why? I could not tell Right. You. I don't know why he needs but the, the fake FBI IDs. the FBI has already approached Letitia. Right. Right. And told her, this is going it. to happen. Right. And we need you to spill this information to us. Right. Or else you'll be fucked. Or else yeah. you'll be fucked. So I don't know what she does there, but she also gives those four social security numbers to the bounty hunter crew. Right. Yes. So that, they, <laughs> so that they're going to hunt the four of them. Right. right. 
And they're, they're, so the bounty hunter crew think that those are the thieves that they right. need to capture, but they're not. Right. I mean, and they do capture them. They do capture them. Yes. And they turn them over. Yeah, they turn them over to the, the mouse lawyer. Yeah. Who then, we think, okay, so we, this is where <laughs> get, the movie shows them getting shot. Yeah. But that's a lie. Right. We know this didn't happen. That didn't happen. Well, and then the mob guys informed your kids are dead. Yes. And it's all to get him to say on a tapped phone, basically. That he's going to kill a bunch of people. Right. Yeah. He, they're trying to get him to incriminate himself. Which he does. Right. In now, this situation. There's no way that the FBI would have known that Letitia's going to do a crime. No. Right. So that could not have been part of their plan. Right. No. But what was part of their plan was somehow spying on the kid. Right. In a way to get those four children. And we don't know why the kid wants those four children. Right. No, it doesn't. I, I don't I don't understand why he wants fake IDs, honestly. I, I really know. don't. All I know is that Just... one point during that scene where they're talking or plating for their lives, trying to take their own graves, the older man who is the sex addict mm-hmm. says, all I do for these kids is get them pussy or something. Right. So maybe the fake IDs were to do something Just with that? Get into bars or, and nightclubs. Yeah, or I guess to get into bars and nightclubs. I mean, they, I guess they, they did yeah. seem young. I guess that's it. But I also feel like if you're a very rich kid, like you don't Is need a, a fake ID. You? Yeah, like you could just like throw yeah, money your dad's a mafia right boss. exactly like you have so many advantages without needing to get a fake id you yeah, can just throw money at people at the door and be like let us in and they look the other way maybe it's yeah. a thing of like um all the other mafia kids have fake ids and we, we dad. Like yeah. <laughs> i still don't know why dabney Culperson. so this is still like yeah mafia guy doesn't even really know is he is he saying i'm gonna kill this person i'm gonna kill that person it's just he's 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 just flailing around at perceived enemies well because he, he believes he Kill the bounty hunter, but I don't. Oh, know I thought he wanted to kill the mostly lawyer. Wait, no. okay, so who was the one who they were trying to who who said incriminating things on the phone? Was that Dabney or was that the mafia guy? Mafia guy. Okay, so he wants to kill the mafia guy. I guess is going to kill the people who killed his son. Yeah, which who he is thinks that is lawyer. Yeah, but he thinks it's Dabney Culperson because he does accuse him of that right. during the stand. That's what I'm confused. Right, so I thought he thought it was Dabney Culperson, but I don't know why he thinks that. Well, he I guess he would. <laughs> <laughs> From the mafia guy's point of view, Dabney Culperson's money got stolen. Right. That money is somehow connected to the, the two of them. I right. I don't know why or how. I and then his son got that. kidnapped. Yeah. And then Did- his son got killed for it. So I think he probably doesn't know the details of like, well, Dabney had okay. his own ways of finding the thief. He just knows right. that. Does Dabney he tried think- to get the money back. It feels and- like an assumption, a safe yeah, assumption yeah. on his part. Okay. Is it because Dabney Culperson, through the mousy lawyer, was the employer of Domino and the other bounty hunters? Well, all they did was deliver them. Yeah. They were subcontractors. Right, right. So it was really the two of theirs. It was Dabney's and Mousy Lawyer's job to get the money back. Right. And as part of that, they quote unquote killed his son. So yeah. therefore, he probably wants the two of them dead. Makes sense. I understand. Okay. So he, it does, the mafia guy is so far above this shit that he has no idea about these bounty hunters. Right. Well, how could he? Right. That's true. I think it's very telling that in trying to make sense of this, we have barely mentioned the titular character of this movie whatsoever. Yeah. Well, this like, is just trying to understand the... <laughs> no, I'm just, saying, I'm just saying, like, so much of, like, the intricate twists and turns of this plot that we don't understand don't directly involve Domino no. or her friends. So She's it's like... sort of a witness. Right. It's, it's almost like you get hung up trying to make sense of what this story is yeah, to the point that Domino almost doesn't matter. How, what a framing device is usually supposed to help with, but in this case, <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. right. A framing device is supposed to give you some sense of clarity. So, Here, so Lou, just, you gotta help me out. Yeah. Right. So to back up a little bit, this is all a recollection that Domino is relaying to Lucy Liu in mm-hmm. some kind of interrogation right. that is happening 
after all the shit goes down, the shootout and blow up right inside the top inside that tower right. in Vegas, right? Where Dabney Coleperson and the mafia guy just basically tear each other apart, right? And yeah. like so, all their henchmen so just the, start. The way fire. that was supposed to go down is that they deliver the false thieves. Mm-hmm. Dabney Coleperson is therefore probably pissed off after the fact that like oh shit. You gave us the wrong thieves, and one of them was the guy's son. Right. It's bad. Right. But we need the money still. Right. And so I guess the idea was that if they had gotten the money... Two of them were the guy's sons. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. But uh, that doesn't matter. But if they had gotten the money, presumably that would have sort of, like, ironed things out. Yeah. If, yeah. If, so, and then you provide Claire to me, like, but no, your kids aren't actually dead. We can they, verify. They know that? I don't know. But I'm just saying, like, is that is that yeah. the intention that at some point someone I would think, be like, no, we didn't kill your well, kids? Well, I think the whole point of the end is that the Kira Knightley and crew realize they're fucked regardless. Right. But they're less fucked if they get the money back. Right. So they figure we're going to get the money back. And we only know that the money is Dabney Coleperson. So right. we will meet with Dabney Coleperson. Right. We will give him the money back. Right. And the, what happens in the process of doing that is a couple of things. <laughs> Number one, the fucking Alf. The yeah. Afghanistan, the Afghanistan guy, guy. The Afghani, yeah. They're Afghani. Secretly took order. all the money and right. placed it with a bomb. Right. And then he's, he tells them, I... I gave the money to, to free Afghanistan, Afghanistan yeah. which is like a, a a cause he brings up uh, like a couple times throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's established previously that like. But he's, the yeah. second thing that happens is the mafia guy shows up. Now the mafia right. guy again. I don't know if he knows this money exchange is happening, but he started to kill Dabney Cole person. Yeah. Primarily, I right. think. Right. And then it seems like, and they are being watched by government agents yeah. in a helicopter outside. And then it seems like the government agents are like, oh shit, everything's going down. Like, but open fire on yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. I'm, what I'm confused about is they seemed surprised that there was a standoff situation unfolding. But what did they expect to happen when they misinformed the, the FBI mafia? Well, again, has no idea about this theft. But they, they have, know. But they know about the misinformation that the mafia guy that, has, and that's why the mafia guy is there. I, I guess, but they don't. I don't think that they know about they. What they don't know about is what they surely don't know the about. The three hundred K that's missing. Or took whatever. all the right, money. right. So yeah, or that, that Mo, they or that they gave Monique three hundred thousand dollars on the DL so that her granddaughter could have the surgery that she needed. Yeah, so I think that there's like a couple things that they're just a little confused about, but I think that they were expecting. Mafia guy to show up, and mm-hmm. they were going to nail him for trying. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess it was kind of like you were laying a trap and expecting that both of them would show up, and then you could just sort of like walk in, as it were, and be like, yeah. "Aha, got you both now." But I guess they they created a bigger situation, right? It's it, it sort of, yeah, it just it spiraled out of control. Yeah. Okay, so I apologize if this is an ignorant question, but then how does all of the trailer park stuff connect to the main plot. With, because with that's Dale just them tracking down the Because he has the money. The, the guy whose arm they cut off <laughs> has the money because it was left behind in his car. They didn't so, have time to get the money. Right. The, the, right. The, the okay. Girl, right. The, the Letitia and the others. So they have to swing back and get that. What well, yes. was it that they didn't have... That's what I was asking. Was it that they didn't have time or was it that it was part of the framing device? It was part of like them framing him still. Because if they took the money mm-hmm. when they split from the car... Wouldn't that kind of implicate them yes, all in saying? Oh, okay. So I think right. it was that they had to leave it behind so the guy would just be like, well, the money's still here. I guess I'll lock it up in my freezer for yeah, some yeah. reason, of which I have the combination for the lock written on my arm. Uh, and so that's why that happened. And that's my understanding. It's so crazy to me that they take his arm off basically out of a misunderstanding of what they're being told. Which is a right. stupid misunderstanding. Yeah. Yes. Why, if you can see on his arm that there's a combination... Why would you need to shoot his arm? Why would yeah. you feel like you need to shoot his arm? Why, right. in what world, even, like, apply basic critical yeah. thinking skills. Just I mean, it's, my, my only thought would be, like, it seems like 
I could see a world where you do that in order to punish the guy and just like teach yeah. him a lesson. But I don't think that's this world. Like, I don't think no. these characters would logically listen to that it, and be like, Delroy Lindo wants us to shoot this guy's arm off. Here are the two reasons you cut someone's arm off. Yeah. You are that stupid to think that that's what Delroy Lindo meant by saying. Which uh, apparently they are. Right or yeah. there, he physically put a fucking key in his arm somehow. Like, <laughs> deep in there. Yeah. You gotta, get, you gotta get that key out of his arm. You gotta get that key out. Um, it's, it is his arm. We should listen to what Wikipedia thinks this movie actually is, because this is a very confusing movie in some respects to watch. It tends to jump around through time periods. It's sometimes difficult to tell where you are in the plot, because it does a lot of, like, as a heist movie often does, it will jump backward in time to be like, you thought X, but actually it's was Y. so fucking distracting, yeah. Yeah. So anyway. I'll, re I'll read it. Domino Harvey a bounty hunter, has been arrested by the FBI investigating the theft of $10 million from an armored, an armored truck. She is interviewed by a criminal psychologist, Taryn Mills, and tells her everything she knows about the case. Domino explains her profession and, and the events leading up to the theft, with Mills occasionally prompting her to give more detail. Domino is a former model living in Los Angeles who becomes a bounty hunter when, after being kicked out of college, she notices a newspaper advertisement for a bounty hunter training seminar. Her colleagues are Ed Mosby, Choco, and Afghan driver Alf. They are employed by Claremont Williams III, a bail bondsman who also runs an armored car business and whose mistress, Leticia Rodriguez, works for the California DMV. Leticia's granddaughter, Mika, Micah, I forget how to pronounce that name, suffering from a blood disease and needs an operation that costs $300,000. Claremont sets up the robbery of $10 million from Drake Bishop. That's Strebny Culperson. Right. <laughs> um, the owner of the Stratosphere Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas and a client of Claremont. His bounty hunters would return the stolen money and collect a $300,000 finder's fee from Bishop. Leticia has been running a counterfeit driver's license racket at the DMV. Okay. A teenager named Francis arrives. Francis is the mafia's right. son. Uh, arrives at the DMV and asks Leticia for fake, license, uh, fake licenses for himself, his brother, and two of their friends. The FBI are tipped about Leticia's racket. They threaten to send her to jail unless she gives them information about Francis, whom they have been surve surveilling. Okay. So I guess that's it. I guess they were just like, we're surveilling him. I mean, I guess, because I know they, they show the scene of like the hidden cameras in the frat house. Yeah. Right. And the FBI agents like watching me like, oh my God, it's Brian Austin Green or whatever. Seems weak, but whatever. I agree. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. Are they just surveying him because of his father's like yeah. mob connections, I guess? Yeah. I okay. Guess so. As All right. way in. Sure. Yeah, sure. Okay. Leticia throws them off the trail by saying that Francis, his brother, and his two friends are going to commit the armored car robbery when in reality, she and Claremont are doing it themselves. Oh... So she tells the FBI. Okay, so she. So she. Oh, okay. She tells the FBI that they're gonna rob the money. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I missed that one. Okay. I missed that too. Okay. <laughs> okay. Leticia carries out the robbery with the help of three coworkers. Claremont finds that Francis and his brother are the sons of mafia boss Anthony uh, Kigliotti. Whatever. Kigliotti. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> He phones Leticia and tells her to abort the plan, leaving the money with getaway driver Locus Fender, who takes the money to his mother's trailer home. Claremont has the bounty hunters apprehend Francis, his brother, and his two friends, and then tells them to deliver them to men working for Drake Bishop. Claremont tells them to retrieve the money from Fender and to, to, to tells the bounty hunters to retrieve the money from Fender and to deliver it to Bishop at the Stratosphere cas uh, Casino. Following a shootout with Fender's mother, the $10 million is retrieved. The mafia boss is told about his son's arrest and is led to believe that Bishop had his sons killed. In reality, 
Bishop's men released the boys after learning that they did not know anything about the robbery. Believing his son's dead, Mafia boss wants revenge and heads for, for the stratosphere. In Las Vegas, Domino takes $300,000 of Bishop's money and gives it to Letitia for Mika's operation. At the stratosphere, the bounty hunters meet with Bishop, who has an armed crew with him. Domino and Bishop discuss the $10 million and what should happen next. Alpha stolen the money and filled the sacks with plastic explosives. He then reveals that he has the remote detonator taped to his hand and has ripped, uh, has shipped the money to free Afghanistan. Shortly after this revelation, uh, Mafia Boss turns up with his crew. Though Bishop denies he had his sons killed, Mafia Boss shoots him and Beckett. Beckett is a mousy lawyer, I think. Okay. In the ensuing gunfight, Choco and Ed are severely wounded, but make it into the elevator with Domino. Alf, critically wounded, sacrifices himself to blow up the top of the stratosphere, and Domino is the only survivor. Now, confusingly... Even though it says they're, they make it to the elevator, Choco and Ed die on the way down. Right, just assume of their wounds or yeah. something, I guess, yeah. After telling Taryn Mills everything, Domino is released from the, by the FBI. Mills advises her to retire from bounty hunting. The nearly 10 million in boxes is delivered to Afghanistan and opened by celebrating children in the streets. Uh, Mika gets her to $300,000 operation, and Domino shares a moment with her mother. What a okay. beautiful ending. That makes more sense. That did. That was actually very clarifying. Yeah, that helped a lot. Um, so that thanks to whoever wrote that. Yeah, seriously, you did yeoman's work <laughs> figuring that out. And honestly, if they if they had to make a few leaps to make this make sense, good on you. Thank you yeah, very much. Yeah, no, I think you did you did as good as anyone could What's the crazy do. about this is that they make no mention of fucking Tom Waits. Yeah, I was gonna say the whole the whole <laughs> part where they get doped up on mescaline, crash yeah. in the desert, and where Tom Waits rescues them. You're, you would bet bet dollars to donuts that they're having some sort of drug based hallucination. Right. So like, no, but no, Tom Waits yeah. drives them. Tom Waits to literally shows up as a weirdo he's, who's he's, like preaching the Bible. And he's credited as the, the wanderer. wanderer, right? But yeah. he, he, he calls, he calls her Bible. angel of fire. Yeah. He's like delivering prophecy, right? Right, and then he shows up and drives them all to Las Vegas. I mean, so like, yeah. this is not this is unequivocally not a hallucination. Some guy showed up and drove them to Las and he, Vegas. He tells them at one point, "If you don't give that money back, you'll die." He equates uh, the granddaughter to like some sort of chosen one. Yes, yeah. Where he's like, "You must. Right, you have to save this granddaughter." Yeah, it's so <laughs> it's weird in a way that this movie is not otherwise. So you are truly like, I mean, you know that it's real because he's how they got to Vegas, but it just yeah. seems so improbable. Again, it feels like he's some sort of like prophet or like yeah. some like like you know speaker of destiny, being like <laughs> yeah. like the universe demands that you save this the little fact girl. That, the fact that he is physically real, proven in the movie because mm-hmm. he drives them, makes me think that this that now magic is real in this yeah. world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Like it's bizarre. Or that like <laughs> why would you? Think that? You know what? Again, this is that guy. This is the writer. Richard right. is not. So this is Richard Kelly. Kelly. Richard Kelly. This is what Richard Kelly's doing. Yeah. yeah. He's like, he can't write, he can't help. He, he can't, can't go, he can't be straightforward. Yeah. It's gotta be nuts. Wasn't there an element of prophecy in Southland Tales? Well, Southland there... Tales was all mystical. Yeah, yeah. Southland Tales is all like insane, like beliefs. But wasn't there the, the, the lady from Poltergeist is like literally a prophetess? I don't think she, she I thought she was like a scientist or something. Oh. And I think she, she's trying Maybe to bring it's about time for a rewind. Yeah, she's it trying to bring about the end of the world. What's but anyway, it's like literally ascends at the end of the movie. Yeah, me? like so. they're flight, they're, flo- they're floating yeah. in that uh, van or whatever. At the yeah, end yeah, of the oh, so good. I'm, I am really glad that we we did that. We kind of figured out what the actual story was here. That was very clarifying. Yeah, I think we just you know before we get into what we saw in this movie, I think we kind of need to start with the fact that as it tells you right at the top. Uh, with title cards, that this is based on a true story, kind of. Yeah. 
What? Which is, I think, a cute way of saying Domino Harvey did exist. Right. She was a, a British fashion model. Right. Her father was an actor. Her mother was very rich. Uh, they did move to Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. But around that time, she took an interest, I guess, in guns and knives and just became a, a bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything else about this movie is completely made up. Right. Yeah. Like, well, they're, they're, again, <laughs> as we said, there are certain characters who are based on real people. Yes. Like the Mickey Rourke character and the Edgar Ramirez character are both based on real people, apparently, mm-hmm. but not – it's not like a one-to-one sort of thing. And, um, you know, other things are complete total fabric. Like also, I, I think the synopsis didn't even mention it, that they're approached by Christopher Walken who plays like oh – my an, God. Who God. plays like a producer or something. Yes. And he wants to turn Domino and the guys – like he wants to basically make a reality TV show about them being yeah. bounty hunters. So for a big chunk of the movie, they're being followed around by Brian Austin Green and Ian Zerning playing the fictionalized sounds. versions of themselves who are shooting a reality show for the WB. Called Bounty Squad? Yeah. About bounty hunters. Yeah. So like that's something else too. This uh, did not seem to have happened at all in real life. No. I can't say that no one ever approached Domino Harvey with like an offer to, you know, it, turn her stuff into a TV show. But there was never at any point like two celebrities tagging around with her on, you know, the best of a Hollywood producer to make a TV show. It's a plausible enough idea. And yeah. I, I do think, and we'll get into this, I think, later, but this this movie is interested in trash TV. So, like, that, that I see that connection, but it doesn't add any... It's, like, so weird. It doesn't yeah. really add anything to right. the story. Right. Well, it's just a very, I mean... It's a grimy movie. It is. Yes. It is. It is. Aesthetically so, speaking, it's an ugly yeah, ass movie. So it's just kind of engaging, and I think all of the grimy aspects of Hollywood. Right. Like yeah, all, all these like low down grungy yes. people. I yeah. think it's it's worth comparing this though to the traditional idea of like a biopic, because in some ways I think that's Bi- biopic, biopic, or sorry. as we say, yeah, biopic. Whatever. Biopic. I, I also say biopic. Thank yeah, which, which I'm sure you can. It just always sounds to me like biopsy, like you're removing. <laughs> yeah, we've got. If you squint, this is sort of a biopic. Yeah, sort of. I mean, this is also, uh, this is the closest I think we've ever gotten to a for real biopic. Like, we've done movies like Robin Hood and King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, which are based on, like, people who might have been real, but have... I don't even count... They're really mythological. Right, like, I'm not counting, but I'm just saying, like, they're based on people who might have been real, but have, like, become mythological. Or folklore. Right, who become, like, folklore heroes to the point that, like, you can't look at anything and be like, this happened. What's the difference? Okay, like, let's say, let's talk about, like, a real, like, Shakespeare in Love. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. call that a biopic. No, I would, I mean, Shakespeare in Love is closer to this. It's more like almost you're writing fanfic about someone who happened to be real. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. I would call it, yeah, I guess it's like, it depends on what you're doing, but, like, if you're doing a movie about, like, a I guess, like, I, I think maybe this is just weird. I don't mm-hmm. generally watch biopics, biopics, or whatever. But if I was, I feel like I would associate them with, like, people that are around or right. verifiable. Like, I, right. could, I could easily consult. Whereas if I'm watching a movie about, like, King Henry, the right. th- like, I would, like, call that just a historical movie. Right. right. I mean, yeah, so much of this because, you know, you have such sketchy records about what actually yeah. happened. You're kind of free to take whatever liberties you want to a certain point if yeah. you want to have the veneer of factuality there. So, like, you do have that. And then you also have things that we did Brotherhood of the Wolf, which mm-hmm. takes, like, a historical event that probably happened and then just... Heavily fiction. Right, and then just sort of, like, goes nuts with it. So, like, this is, I think, the closest we've come to a for real biopic, but even that's kind of saying something. Well, because it at least is ostensibly setting out to tell you about a real person, which I don't think we really have done before. No, Um, I don't believe we have. Because we know... I mean, we do not know for a fact if Robin Hood ever drew breath, but we do know for a fact that Domino Harvey... The former fashion model turned turned bounty hunter hunter, absolutely did live. And 
um, ran around with these two crazy characters, and they they abused tons of drugs and right. did all kinds of nutty stuff. But um, I do think it's interesting that one of the things that I found consistently noted. So uh, uh, the real Domino Hardy felt that this movie did her identity and uh, memory like a huge disservice and. Uh, one of her friends described it as feeling as if her life had been taken away from her. Uh, but one of the n- things that was consistently noted was in real life, she was at least, she was quote unquote, not entirely straight, which I take to mean you're maybe just more fluid or queer. Yeah, that's what I would assume. But for the purpose of a sort of a one-off, nothing connection with the Edgar Ramirez right. character. I mean, I, I, again, I think you, you, you could almost assume that her character is almost entirely sexless in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Aside from like a handful of times where she is kind of out of nowhere into Edgar Ramirez, yeah. like the scene of him changing in the laundromat, she kind of is like eyeing him up. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, of course, course when they're drugged up and in the desert they have like they have sex and they have connection and then like right before he dies they say that they love, love each other which I mean, kind of comes out of nowhere but. i'm not discrediting her criticism of this movie but i also think that like her if she's just not entirely straight her boning a guy doesn't negate that her not being straight i would agree with I that think as well. it was more like but also i don't think that she needs to be boning a guy in this movie at all yeah this movie's a lot anyway <laughs> yeah um but yeah uh yeah, I mean, like, that's that's the sort of issue that, like, it's very difficult to kind of litigate now because the subject has, in fact, died. And, like, mm-hmm. they would be the only person who can speak with any real confidence and authority as to what their deal is. So, like, you even, you know, even if you, like, ask their best friends and, like, oh, hey, like, what was their sexuality? They're just going from, like, what that person has told them and what they know. Correct. Like, unless everyone outright says, I have never seen her be with a man then I can look at this and be like, okay, you're really fudging shit now. I think it's also just, like, a weird feeling of, like... And the movie, like, I think means to grapple with this, but doesn't really. Is, like, she is in some sense a celebrity in that she is a curiosity, right? right? And uh, uh, Brendan put this kind of a few different ways, but basically, like... As a hook, it sounds like a really interesting, like a story from Wired or something. Right. I mean, like this is this is the sort of story that when someone publishes in the New Yorker right. a story about Domino Harvey, the former model of like rich and famous parents turned bounty hunter, this feels like the sort of story that then gets emailed to like a bunch of different producers in Hollywood later that day, being like, "Look into this. Like, why aren't we doing this movie?" It doesn't really move beyond that. It just sort of lives in this idea of, "Can you believe it?" Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The the thing, the biggest thing here, I think, is that the movie doesn't really have a hook for Domino Harvey beyond like. Isn't this crazy? I mean, I would argue it doesn't really care so much about her. Her. It cares about this crazy... Right. I mean, I think, again, going back to what I said earlier, the dint of the fact that we spend so much time trying to work out the plot, which Domino features relatively infrequently in, is kind of an indication of where this movie is focusing its energy on. Yeah, I would argue that this movie is called Domino, but it's it's really just kind of like about this crazy bounty hunting job that went really south. Right, which, again, is... Fabricated. Yeah. Um, the thing. So I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. I'm not to cut you off, but um, the, the thing that I like, kept coming to mind when I was watching this the first time is weirdly the musical Gypsy, which is based off of Gypsy Rose Lee, mm-hmm. ostensibly, but it's one based off of her memoirs, which are claimed to be like very fabricated, which like her own sister has said like this is not the way things worked out. But two, the musical itself is more interested in telling the story about the character's mother than it is about Gypsy herself. So like it's called Gypsy because Arthur Lawrence has said contractually it had to be called Gypsy, which almost feels. <laughs> 
like this where like this is called Domino because like they probably had to call Domino because they bought her life rights. Right. But it feels like it's less interested in telling the story about like this is Domino's life and more just like Lee said a crazy heist that went awry. That happens to future right. Domino. Right. Let's get into that crazy plot. I would say it is very difficult to know what's happening. It's very difficult to understand at times which plot you're meant to be focusing on. I think it might be helpful if we try to tease out what are the different plots yeah. at play. Yeah. I think like the editing will talk, when we get to talk about the editing, we'll talk about right. why it's so hard to follow. Yes. The different plots. What? So we got, all right, plot number one, mm-hmm. you have, I I think we're going to count like this, because there's a decent amount of flashback here, like the story of Domino. Yeah, I would yeah, argue that like the story of Domino is arguably, should be the main like, one, right, like what we're really. hanging everything upon. Yeah. Well, it is where you start, because, you know, I, yeah. you know, she's 12 years old, she's flipping a butterfly knife right. around, and then, you know, when she goes to college, and those sorority girls were mean, she punches that yeah. bitch yeah. in the nose. Yeah, for Before feminism. That, like she goes to boarding school, and she steals a quarter from the... <laughs> Yeah, from the, the, the special the, thing, and she right. learns that God doesn't is not real or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's the plot of there's like sort of the yeah, Domino's backstory. There's sort of like there's the reality show subplot right. that kind of is a subplot that like when she becomes a famous bounty mm-hmm. hunter, this reality show wants to scout her or do a show about her. I think the the granddaughter is kind of a plot like the yep. it kind of drives a lot of the yeah. actual whole like yeah. How are we going to get the money? Right. I mean, like, I would say it's sort of like granddaughter slash DMV lady slash Delroy Lindo are yes. kind of one. An up, an arm. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of feel like just in terms of how this ends up being structured, they're probably the closest you get to like a central plot to all of them. I think well, well, I think they're closest you get to an emotional arc. An emotional arc. Yeah. Because like the, I would say like the big meaty plot arc is this. Fucking FBI, mafia boss, yeah. Del- uh, Dabney Cole person yes. investigation, right? Where they're trying to nail mafia boss, Sigliotti, Sigliotti, I don't know how to yeah. say it. Caligula, I don't know. Caligula. Yeah. And to do that, they need to do all this crazy shit, and it sort of intersects with um, Delroy's arc with Letitia wanting to get money for this operation. Right. For her granddaughter. For her granddaughter. Right. Yeah, and it, that, that's the plot that really spirals out into all these complications, like, oh, the money got stolen. Oh, we arrested the wrong people right. because Delroy set up patsies to right. take the fall. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Am I missing... Are we missing a plot besides... I think that's like basically... Because you have to assume that, like... Um, the, well, there's uh, also the blink and you miss it romance between Choco and I was going to say you, I was going to say that kind of that. that kind of dovetails into the Domino plot I would argue yeah. more because like they're kind of like they're with Domino for most of the movie so it's kind of like you could say it's like Domino and her team are one plot sort yeah, yeah. of and like you know, we can quibble, obviously, about how well the romance yeah. is executed, but... There's also a... There's a confusing moment. We, we mentioned that uh, that weird prophetic preacher shows up and calls her an angel of fire. But in like the scene or two before that, Edgar Ramirez calls, calls her an angel of fire. Right. So right. It's, it's like you almost expect <laughs> that scene to, like... It feels like in a much goofier movie, how that scene, that scene would play out as it does in the movie, and then you would catch them in Vegas, and they'd be like, thanks for the ride, Mysterious Wanderer. There'd be like this little nerd in a car, be like, well, I just found you on the side of the road and drove you back. Like, what do you mean? You kept the angel. Right, right, yeah. These people were like so drugged out that they think like yeah. a preacher wandered over them and started like prophesizing to them, and the guy's just like, oh, okay. I'm going to the accounting <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Again, I'm putting this down to 
Richard Kelly nonsense that like, I, I, yeah, multiple bizarre unconnected allusions to her being an angel. Of right. Like this, this, this is aggressively a Richard Kelly style script, and apparently I'm into it. I'm into no, this kind I mean, of thing. To, to, yeah, I mean, I want to be quite clear. The toppling ambition. Yes, yeah. I want to be yeah. quite clear when I say that. Like, yeah, I'm also into it as well. Like, it yeah. feels like a Richard Kelly script, and that it's like it's a little overstuffed as his scripts often are. Like, it feels like he almost always has like a little too many more ideas than how he knows to like successfully weave and in. Each of yeah. those ideas are maybe a little too wild well, and too I would say, big to be all in I would there say together. Specifically, what I'm into is randomly inserting like bits of surreal yes. in there, yes. or like just like stuff that makes no sense. Similar to how like when you watch like True Detective My Country, where like maybe we'll get some maybe episode six tomorrow night will reveal some sort of like they were all hallucinating <laughs> there was maybe. a town wide gas leak yeah there was a big gas leak <laughs> yeah. and they're all hallucinating but like most of the time when you see something it's like there's like clearly some stuff is actually people are actually getting killed but then every now and then like someone sees has a flashback of like line. someone else's dead son and right. you're like that's weird right. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's, it's almost to me I was thinking almost like a David Lynch and Twin Peaks yeah, yeah, style yeah, thing yeah. Where, like, it starts out like in a exactly. relatively grounded thing and then like the more you go along it with it the, the more, more surreal, surreal. And yeah right. Things which like great. I've got no beef with that and again also just to like kind of I, I don't want to like spend too much time but like just going back to the idea of biopics in general by and large I don't care for biopics as movies I mean, like I, mean, I find them mostly boring unless it's someone I really fucking care about I generally don't care about them. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, like, I know there's a Bob Marley one that just came out, which I have not seen. Bad reviews, which I have no desire to see. But it feels like they almost always start with, like, the main character as, like, a six-year-old kid, like, playing on a drum set for the first time. Like, someone gives him a drum set for the first time, like, I'm going to be a musician. And the parent's like, great. Then that's like, okay, fucking buckle up. You got, like, 30 years following around this kid around as they grow up and become musicians. And it's like, this is boring as shit and I don't care about I feel like the best and most interesting biopics I have seen are ones that tend to focus on a very specific window of a person's life. Yeah. Like, um... Memoir style almost. Right. And I was thinking even, like, the, um, the, uh, Aaron Sorkin, Danny Boyle, Steve Jobs one, which just focuses on, like, three different product releases throughout Apple history, and you, like, check in with Steve Jobs at three different points, <laughs> which, like, I think is a very smart way to do it, instead yeah. of being, like, this is Steve Jobs as a little adopted kid, and we're gonna do, and it's, like, you dole out what you need to dole out. I think part of it, too, is, and, you know, hats off to this movie for, I guess, not falling for this, um, I feel like a lot of times biopics can be, uh, fawning. Because a lot of times to get the rights, you have to agree to do right. a, a very flattering portrayal. Right. So, I mean, that's, again, the other thing with, like, the Bob Marley movie. It's like, you are doing the movie that his family wants to see about Bob Marley. You are not going to get, like, the Bob Marley who's also, like, kind of a shitty it's guy. Really a right. And had, like, a bunch of, like, the guy who, like, well, he fucked up sometimes, but, like, he was a good guy. Mm. Which is, like, one of those shady things you would now. Again, with this, like, this is not, as we said, this is not, like, a straight-up biopic in that sense, so it's not entirely fair to sort of discuss it in the same breath as a movie like that, but I do respect that Richard Kelly apparently knew enough to not make this a traditional biopic in any sense, so, like, I do like that. I like that it wasn't sort of, you know, again, you do get the flashbacks of Domino as a kid and Mm -hmm. school and all that shit, but it's not that, like, you start with her, you know, like tackling some kid outside her parents' mansion being I mean, like, like, I'm gonna rough you up. I think the yes, but I think we get similar moments. No, I think you do. I think punching the sorority st- girl in the face is one of those. Yeah, but I, I feel like those are generally few and far between, you know, and it's like they're kind of doled out throughout the movie. So one sure. of the things you can say about this movie is 
desperate attempts to not have a linear storyline is that at least you don't get all of that in the beginning. You get yeah. it sort of interspersed throughout. That's a, that's a good point. Which I do like. Um, I would argue, though, that the overstuffed nature of it paired with the Tony Scott visual schizophrenic editing yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, makes it like, very difficult to access any of these stories, I, either on I, an emotional I, level or even having a chronological understanding. I'm for Sorry. the weirdness. The overstuffedness, I 100% agree. It, there's too many things happening. And there's, like, again, I don't... The reality show thing, I think, is just absolute excess. I don't think it does anything... Mm-hmm. For the story. I don't even... I mean, I guess it could if you want the story to be about that. Sign them! Right. Sign I mean, we them. should sign them! We Get should them sign them! a talent deal! Yeah. What? It's, it's just like, whatever... Yeah, you gotta pick what you want to focus on, and I would say cut two of these plots. Yeah. And then you could maybe put more focus on the rest of it and be more coherent with the storytelling. Uh, and that goes in hand in hand with the editing, which is also a disaster in the yeah. movie. Yeah. Let's, let's get into I it. I mean, so yeah, here's the thing. I, th- I think much like we said, like we had said, the script is overstuffed. It could use a little bit of focus, but there's like a lot of sprawling ideas playing out here. And none of this is helped by the visual style of the movie, which, we, you know, from the get go, almost from the get go, you start getting that sort of like, um, I, I don't know, like that back phrasing almost, I think, where like, Domino, oh, like my name is Domino Harvey. And then you're like, oh, it's Domino Domino Harvey. Harvey. Well, it's like, it's as if somebody has hit the back 10 seconds. Yes. Button. Right. Mm-hmm. And you hear it again, but it's like filtered. Yes. And it, well, yeah. and they make it sound crazy. Like, they do a lot of, like, it sounds like a voice is coming over a shitty phone or, like, a walkie-talkie. Yeah. A lot of, like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, I played a video game recently that was a time travel thing, and you'd, there would be a lot of this kind of filter <laughs> over things, where it would be, like, everything would be, you'd hear things in double, or, like... And it's sort of, like, a recursive thing. editing, yeah. in yes. a way. But then the other thing you're hit with immediately is how there's, like, five inches of, in, of Instagram filters yes. just, like, piled on <laughs> you. Know, especially, like, this movie, this 35-millimeter copy of this movie must be, like, so much thicker <laughs> because of all the various filters they've had. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, visually speaking, Speaking, this movie is a headache almost immediately oh from the get go, just because again, due to all like yeah, the filters, I mean, the color choices. I know I made you guys watch The Girl from Monday, but I would put this up there as another eye cancer. Physically yeah. difficult to watch. <laughs> yes. I know for me, and maybe time. just maybe just because of the passage of time, this is harder to watch than The Girl from Monday. Yeah. Well, I think what we might be forgetting is this was occasionally ghosty. It was constantly ghosty Girl from Monday. That's true. That's fair. Maybe if I saw Girl from Monday again, I would have a different thought. I think they're equal evils and they're equally excessive in the wrong ways, but they they made different choices. Right. And I mean, this movie does a lot, again, there's a lot of like sped up shots, a lot of slow down shots, a lot of times where there is a like average shot length of, you know, 0.03 seconds where we're just like flickering constantly back and forth. A lot of like overlaid, like 30% transparency. Right, right. You're fading into the next scene, but But you're keeping a face from the last scene. Way too long, right? Yeah, like yeah. I'm having to like barely parse the yeah. images. Yeah, I would say I think I, I think I when I was watching this for the first time, I remember pausing it 44 minutes and going, "I'm exhausted." Yeah, <laughs> no, I think I, I had a, the exact same response. Just watching this movie I was like, "This is a tiring experience." It is. I can't imagine sitting in a theater and watching this yeah. because I, I did, just I be did that, and then I also messaged you guys at one point, and I was like, "Am I supposed to be? Am I dumb, or is it normal to not know what the fuck is going on?" <laughs> I believe we both responded. Yeah. Neither of us knew yeah. what the fuck was happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think part of it, too, is, and, uh, you know, maybe this was intentional, I want to extend 
Tony Scott that uh, right, that, I, that benefit of the yeah. doubt, right? I want to look for meaning in this choice of using this like constant, overbearing, I mean, uh, like music video style editing. I had told you that he had said, according again, if one can take IMDb trivia as gospel, because I didn't look for a citation in this, <laughs> but he said that this was the, the visual style of this movie was an intentional reference to the fact that a lot of the bounty hunters he had interviewed in like making this movie were constantly drugged out the entire time. So his idea was to and make Domino a movie, was. right? And so his idea was to make a movie looked so visually bizarre because the idea was that everyone was constantly on some drug cocktail. I think what you need for that to work is you need there to be stretches of time where you're back in non-drug so world. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think even, like, I could handle, like we said, I would be f- completely fine if this movie was surreal and heightened in a mm-hmm. way. It's more just, like, the schizophrenic nature of all of the cutting and filtering that just makes it tiring to watch, you know? Yeah. Like, there, there, you can certainly have a heightened visual style for this movie, but like you said, Lee, this is just exhausting to look at. Yeah, I think you, yeah, I would agree with, with Chris that there needs to be, like, a control. Yeah! <laughs> Like one of those things for, that, to like, understand what is different. Right, like I you should see look normal. at like the pre bounty hunter days yeah. shot very conventionally or something. Right, or would it not make more sense? Like it shot conventionally, her leading up to the point where she joins the two guys, mm-hmm. and then starting to run around with. Because part of what was weird was aside from the mescaline scene where they're being dosed unknowingly and against their will, but right. stupidly, like they should have seen it coming. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't really see them do drugs. And I think that would have helped put this in better context. Right. Because I I think without the suggestion that what we're seeing is their drug addled perception, I think I'm just seeing a director go way too ham on the editing choices. The plot of this movie wanted them to be drugged out, but not uh, have them be drug addicts. Right. Mm -hmm. So they were like, well, I have to have them get drugged unwittingly because. I think that the the audience will care or, or will not be into the idea that these bounty hunters are doing drugs all the time. So are we meant to believe then that she's still coming down off this big mescaline bender as she's being interviewed by I Lucy Liu? Yes, that's the idea. They possibly. said that she had it in her, her system. Yeah, her system. Lucy Liu points being that out. Tested yeah. like before the interview. So I, it probably is mostly out of her system. By right. Now, but. I mean, I, I guess the idea is that because we have this framing device, which I do not care for whatsoever, with Lucy Liu interrogating her. Everything that you're seeing is a recollection that is prompted by Lucy Liu interviewing her. And therefore, everything has this filter and this style because it's all something that's coming to her head at the moment. Now, as I said previously, I do not like this framing device at all. And again, while I do like the sort of scattered and overstuffed nature of the script, if this was something that was done chronologically, and I don't necessarily think that it should have been because I don't necessarily think that's a good move. But if it were done chronologically, you could start at zero and slowly amp your way up throughout the movie as things are getting more and more absurd, you know, to the point that whenever they drink the um, coffee with mescaline in it at the end, that's when you can go like full on right. craziness. And because because again, the movie is not following a chronological order, it's it's a little tricky to kind of pull something like that, you know, to like have some scenes be super heightened and then go back to zero and then go crazy again. Yeah, you could also do like a different thing for like childhood memories, which are blurred with time, right? Mm-hmm. Versus uh, more recent memories with a clear head, versus memories when you were off your tits on some weird drug. Right. Right, so you could have different levels of crazy. Yes. Different styles applied. I also think that framing devices would have worked better if there was more of a conversation, like if you were watching the movie, then like, there, like, there'd be interruptions from Lucy Liu. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Or like, why are we going back to... Right, like, why are we talking about this now? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's important. I gotta... I gotta... It matters. You gotta right. hear about why I stole the quarter. 
<laughs> it comes back. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, I also think that's a hilarious way to like show this is this is where this character's faith in God ended. It, it yeah. comes back because Tom Waits gives her a quarter at right. the end. And then there awesome. and then there are like various religious like there's a shot worth like Edgar Ramirez's face that turns into Jesus, Jesus. or vice versa. What? gotta get to this the needle drops yeah in this oh movie God. are uh insane and not in a fun way just in like honestly between Hold this and the like the 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 trying very hard we're so tough look at us we're so gritty which uh-huh. i i found all of that and the music choices to be laughable like i felt like they were like oh this is coming together so fucking well you guys and I mean, it is goof city this this feels like tony scott is trying hot, so hard to make this feel cool in a way that like he didn't do with something like the first top gun or something right, right? it's like it just sort of happens effortlessly and like you can say that, and like erratically right and you can sort of say like yeah this is a little ridiculous at times certainly too but like it's it's like not desperately grabbing you by the like collar and be like, but isn't this so fucking cool? It's right. just sort of like just guy, just let it happen. Right. You know how to let it happen. Yeah, I want to know who picked these songs. <laughs> <laughs> two of the the two that come up a lot are that like that trying to make a living one in the opening. Yeah, and there's like boom, boom. <laughs> what? what? Like, I can't remember what they're saying, but like, those are the two ones that that caught that, like, they had whatever something like quote unquote, like, someone just think cool, cool yeah. badass. It'll trigger one of those songs we'll start playing. But it's also like, it's just, it's to me, it's so goofy to feel like you need to punctuate your cool badass moments with, with like the a, same sting. Yeah, and I have this like, <laughs> I don't want to say, maybe, maybe these were like approved by somebody who understands the music and the culture. I certainly don't. Right. But it certainly feels like it could have just been a white guy. An yeah. older white yeah. guy being like, this sounds cool. This sounds cool, right. What? I mean, the other thing you had mentioned when we were watching this sleep is how during the shootout sequence at the end, they play that cover of Mama Told Me Not to Come Again, yeah, yeah, yeah. which has already been played once in the movie. But like when it happens at the end of the movie, it gives it a sort of like levity to the scene, yeah, which I feel like shouldn't be there. It feels like, yeah, for this, it could have had a tone akin to something like a kiss, kiss, bang, bang, right. or like a burn after reading where it's like either a kind of like a... It's a, both dark and irreverent. Right. It's but it's also like heightened and funny or, in yeah, a way. Heightened. Yeah. But that this movie really doesn't seem to be doing that, and right. I do think that why that it, we're it's a weird choice for this moment because we're also told early on that Domino has never killed anyone mm-hmm. and doesn't want to, and here she is like having to shoot up a room full of dudes. Right. She kills like five dudes. Right. And Which is so and firing it, double right. And it's one of those right. No, it's one of those things where like it's fine. Right. It's fine because it's in self defense, but it is nonetheless. This should be like a moment for your character. Yeah. And also, your two closest friends are dying. Right. Right. One of which you allegedly are in love with. Right. Yeah. And you have this sort of like irreverent score playing during the show, which yeah, makes you yeah. just sort of so, watch it being like, oh, it's fun. It's funny. That to me, I think, I, I have two thoughts. I think either there was an attempt to go for dark comedy, and I think the solution to getting there is what if we play a jaunty song over our most violent points, which is the shotgun to sever the arm scene. That's where they first play Mama Told Me Not to Come. Yeah. And then they play it again during the holo- like the helicopter tower shootout. Yeah. So I think the attempt is to... Tr- I One theory is the attempt is to try to curb 
the... To undercut the violence? Yeah. To undercut it with the nice thing. Yeah. The other theory is they're trying to play up a darkly comedic thing of like, look! Well, isn't this actually just so ridiculous? Either way, you failed. Right. right. I, I, I would think it's probably the former, not the latter, because I don't think... This movie is, by and large, not trying to be funny. Usually you can tell that like something wants to be irreverent and funny and is failing at it. And I think this movie has a couple of bits that are kind of... Like, again, like... We can say what you want about the Jerry Springer show sequence, but like the part afterward. That is an attempt at comedy. Right. But you can say also the part afterward where Letitia and her other DMV friends are like talking and they're like, why are you bringing up like race relations on Jerry Springer? It's just like, like it's kind of like a funny moment where, where she's just like, well, I didn't think I'd have another option to. She it's, said, like, I would have used Montel instead. Right. Yeah. And like that's kind of like a moment where the script is trying to be funny and like actually is kind of funny. And so I feel like you don't get a lot of those moments, though. No. You don't get a lot of moments that read as an attempt at comedy in this movie. I know Richard Kelly was. Was not the director. I know he was the writer, but do you think Richard Kelly, because between this and Southland Tales, he's very interested in reality TV, and I really think that comes through in this movie. I yeah, I mean that's that's certainly again that could arguably be the entire reason as to why the Christopher Walken subplot is in this movie. You know, right. again, well, why the Jerry Springer scene is in this, right? Yes. That too. That has no place. Right, they could it, both it is, lift out with right, no effect. It is profoundly time. weird because, like, you you could argue, I guess, that the effect of the Jerry Springer scene is that she gets fired at work because she called out sick on the day the to show go aired. Do. Yeah. No, to watch because it's not live. The show is not live. Oh. She called out sick. Because Why she wanted to, want to watch. watch. Because that's when she says something like, "I don't have TiVo." When the boss says, that's "Like right. the boss says something like, you heard of TiVo?" TiVo. She's like, "I can't afford TiVo." That's so like, right. the idea is that she called out sick to watch the show, and therefore that got her fired. But like, you don't really need that no. in there. Like, she could just be in trouble because the FBI have shown up and be like, and so her I, boss is right. like, "Excuse me." Right. So like, I hear you're ha- I hear you're doing like an illegal racket with um, yeah, also, with driver's license. Yeah, she doesn't need to get caught watching Jerry Springer she could be caught for doing illegal license right and so it's just it's again similar to the whole like overstuffed ideas sort of it's thing it's an indulgence yeah I don't know what uh, do you have anything else to say about the look the directing the editing the music it's unappealing and exhausting dizzying. that's all I've yeah. got yeah it makes you feel sick sometimes yeah yeah. Uh, it, it has the net effect of making everyone look greasy it looks yeah, it's, it's an it's an ugly it's an ugly Disgusting. movie unpleasant right. film to watch yes it is there are so many locations like I get like the Dale Dickey trailer scene like everything is gross yeah. and you know like it's just everyone's sweaty everyone's yeah. gross good, good job you made Carrie Knightley look unappealing yeah, right. Right. you gave her you gave her uh, <laughs> the worst haircut yeah. it was like a Kate Goslin but punk yeah. 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 So let's get into characters and performances. Let's start with our main gal, Domino. Yeah. You know what I love most about Domino? She's such a deep, well-realized character that really, you know, stands up for feminism yeah. and women everywhere. Yeah. I don't um, really know. <laughs> I mean, I can't compare. We, we can't. I, I can't. We, I don't think. Well, maybe you guys can. But I certainly can't compare her to the real one. I can't. I, I can't about either. The real one. I don't know if, if Keira Knightley wasn't comfortable doing an accent or if Domino... I think, she, I think she was, was British. British. Yeah. She was British. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That she was at least born there. So like I think she might have had some kind of accent. Even if she lost the accent, I think that was probably why they went with Karen Ailey. Okay. Oh man, I don't know. It's it's tough. I mean She's mostly just she's sort of like a parody. She's what you imagine a shallow male writer would well, she's would create if you well, I mean, she's like a strong female. I was gonna say yeah. she's the epitome of like Gone Girl's cool girl, right? right. Where like she's gorgeous as hell, mm-hmm. but she can shoot guns and hit people with nunchucks, and she'll give a lap dance to a guy if right. he's getting she's, information. Yeah, she's sort of like deep from that era of like what 
tough woman were like. Right. right? Like, it's like, well, this is what we think a tough woman is. It's also, um, um, I, this also still comes up a lot where it's like, it, like, the hidden message behind this character is, see, ladies, all you need to do is be tough. And then men won't fuck with you, you you know, you won't get harassed, because you're too tough for that. And they keep showing you that, right? Even if, if it's a sorority girl who's bullying her, if it's David Gordon Green. It's two weirdos looking at her underwear. She's yeah. too tough for yeah. that. Right. Brian Austin Green, I think you meant, not what David Gordon Green. Oh. It's very different. <laughs> what? be honest with you guys i don't know that i have a whole lot to say about anyone's performance or the characters in this movie it's simply it's because to... so many of them are two-dimensional yeah. but it's one of those things because everyone is so two-dimensional in this movie i can look at it and be like you're fine like you're doing fine work yeah. with what you have but nothing beyond that I also... yeah i try to like i it's always when i try to talk about a performance i try to talk about the character because i think you can only do so much right with what you're like there are a handful of actors i think who can elevate like one dimensional no characters <laughs> into something beyond that and there are other actors and like this is not a slight actors who just can't give you a whole lot more beyond what there is there and what the director gives them in that and like i think everyone here kind of is giving that kind of performance where everyone is delivering the performance that they are told to do by the director that the screenplay is informing them that the story is informing upon them them. And so they're all just being like competent. Here's you know? something I was thinking about. Can we even say that we clearly saw their performances through all of that visual noise? That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's yeah, there's dense, that too. It's a dense film to watch. Like, can <laughs> anyone's performance? Every, yeah, every frame has so every much going on. So <laughs> Star Wars style. Yeah. But it's like, can you really say anyone's performance lands? Because there's just so much other shit to right. yeah, distract you're, you're you. Yeah, you're constantly jazzing it up with so much goop that it's impossible oh, yeah. to kind of keep I w- tabs I will on say, like, character-wise, I don't understand Choco. I don't know I don't either. At all. I don't I, know what the fuck is going on in that head. He doesn't make sense as a real person. He doesn't make sense as a character. Frankly, he is there so that she has someone to have the vague outline of a romance subplot. He with. seems like a sort of, like... The best I can come up with is some sort of like feral wolf that sort of like imprints, <laughs> like imprints on Kira Knightley. What? I think there there are some interesting ideas with Mickey Rourke's character. Like I think I, the movie I think is positing the idea that Mickey Rourke is like the substitute father for her since her right. original father died. But I feel like you don't really get enough of that. And then Lee also, like you said, there's a scene that he, kind of implies that he's going he's, to have sex with her. Yeah, or he has. Or, or yeah. I'm so confused yeah. by that. Uh, yeah, ditto. Because but, Choco is so angry right. the whole movie. Like, at he's he, he definitely is like her nursing the crush on Kieran the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he is under the impression that they're fucking or if they are fucking. I don't think they are fucking. So here's my take, and I could be completely wrong. But, you know, who knows with this movie. Yeah. I think, because he calls out Keira Knightley eyeing him up in the laundromat. Okay. Uh, Mickey Mickey Rourke calls out Keira Knightley eyeing up Edgar Ramirez. At the laundromat. Yeah. And then later, he starts egging at Edgar Ramirez of right. like, well, if you're not going to fuck her, maybe I'll go fuck her. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think he ships them, and this is his way of putting them together. I'm okay. inclined to agree with you, but be, again, because of so many other factors in this movie, it's a little hard to conclusively nail down. Correct. That, like, this is what it is. And, like, I wish... I wish I had a stronger semblance of the relationship between Karen Knightley and Mickey Rourke in this movie. Like, I do wish... spent a lot of time Right. I do wish that, like, there was more of an obvious sort of paternal relationship with, you know, that he feels toward her, or that she feels toward him, rather. 
but like again you just don't get that because there's so many other stylish plates spinning in the air with yellow filters on them that it kind of makes it difficult to sort of focus in on what you think should matter which is you know what is her why, why is she so interested in this lifestyle right. like what does this lifestyle offer her freedom you know I guess maybe that she didn't feel that she had before and so therefore because she's pursuing this lifestyle like you would think that like these two guys would matter a lot to her but mm. you don't really get that the weird part is for me the end confuses everything because we're clearly meant to feel positive and good about her going back to her mom but mm. that's equated with going back to this life that she had so much distaste for see i get i'm so that again again other issues does she have distaste for that life or does she have distaste for the idea that like she was forced into like school and then had to be a model is it like does she not like her mom or does she not like this rigid because her mom comes along with her to Christopher Walken's pitch Dang. and so like it kind of implies there that maybe her mom has some sort of like that they they, they have like a detente between the two of them but the mom also doesn't want her to do it no I know yeah, but, but the I mean, mom also is like okay sort of not, like not like okay but is like not She's still with her when right. she's with her new bounty hunter friend. She's like, oh, I don't like your new friends, Choco and Ed, whatever they're called. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. As if it's like a, you know, a mild disagreement. Or, yeah, it's like like your kid your kid like in middle school brings a new friend yeah, home and yeah. you're like, I don't know about this boy. I don't yeah. know about this boy. So it seems like they have like a decent relationship. Right. Still. So like, I mean, I, I don't watch the end of this movie being like they're cheapening, you know, like I, they're, they're trying to look for something that's not there. I think that like there is certainly some kind of connection, which the movie doesn't do a whole lot of work, you know, explaining or going into detail about that I think could still hit. I wouldn't necessarily look at the last scene of her in the pool with her mom as being like, well, she's turned her back on everything. But I, I guess I just viewed her becoming a bounty hunter and the way that she seemed to feel about the other people around her, including her family when she was a rich person. It felt like this was an act of rebellion. And look, I found my people. Right. And I mean, this again, is what's right for me. The thing that I had said when I was watching, that I, I said to you guys in our chat whenever I watched this, it reminded me so much of the scene in Batman Returns where Penguin <laughs> is talking about Catwoman and he says something like, maybe she's just a sorority girl getting back at her dad for not buying her a pony, which feels like it could very well be this. This feels very much like do you actually like this and do you want this or is this just like your first know. taste of freedom your like little fuck you to you know the conformity of your life what yeah. is it well, about this I mean in real life and in the movie not that they have not that we're dealing with that much similarity here but like the real Domino from what I read mm-hmm. seemed like always had a bad sort of troubled childhood yeah. right. was always getting into trouble but always right. a tomboy was always wanting to mm-hmm. do martial mm-hmm. arts and stuff and so like and it seems like they were kind of but they didn't really lean into it as much because no. they just kind of go from her stealing a quarter at the church to yeah. like her with nunchucks and a tool right 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 yeah well no there's the her doing nunchucks and a tool can we talk about how nunchucks are like the coolest thing in the world. I think we can talk about it very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just, I just love that when when Edgar Ramirez and what's his face are like, yeah. How do we know you're any good? I've been training since I was twelve. Yeah, I've got nunchucks, throwing stars, blah blah blah. Yeah. Which, like, if somebody it's, that has big, I have the power of God and anime on my hands. Thousand percent. Okay, continue. I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, it's like the, if somebody did that to you in real life, you would just laugh at them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, seriously. How good they're throwing those nunchucks around! I would just be so. Yeah. I would laugh no, so I agree. Hard. I agree. It is like ultimate weeb shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what? Ladies and gentlemen, that just leaves us with fixes. I can start if that's helpful. Sure, sure, go for it. I respect the scale and the large, sprawling, like piled high nature of Richard Kelly's script, and I do find that attractive in many ways. Um, I think to tie this all together and to speak to what I feel 
is a tremendous interest in trash TV. I think we need to make this an experimental film where it's very episodic. And I think we get episodes that covers different sections of Domino's life, but we do that through the lens of different reality television programs. (laughs) I think some of them, it's... I think maybe one of them is a real-world style where she, like, shows up at college and doesn't get along with her roommates or anyone because they're all, I I don't know, prissy sorority girls and she wants to play with her butterfly knife. Um, I want to do maybe, like, a cop-style thing to show her doing her bounty hunting stuff. I think then, if we are doing occasional channel flip editing flips over to Jerry Springer... It doesn't feel quite as jarring and out of place. It will then, I mean, I want to turn down the schizophrenic uh, schizophrenic editing because I think it makes it physically hard to understand what's happening. But I do want to keep maybe elements of it because I do think there is a statement maybe to be found in here, and maybe it wasn't unintentional, about how, like, this, the, the nature of celebrity it's trying to capture is one that's inherently scuzzy and gross. And it's about being famous for doing something... Uh, if not reprehensible, then, like, kind of dark and seedy and unseemly. And I think approaching that content through the lens of reality television is both aesthetically fitting, but would also get at this idea of we're covering this specific kind of celebrity. They're known for being this kind of, like, scummy, weirdo, gross thing. I think in that case, a lot of the big character swings are then more at home, because then you can sort of heighten this and honestly take it to a comedic place that I really feel like this movie could have used more of. I think one of its largest fatal flaws for me is how seriously it takes itself when it is being absolutely ridiculous. So I think a little bit of winking at the audience would help here, but I think a lot makes more sense if you root all of this as fodder for different fictional reality TV show programs. So that's my fix. Interesting. Cool. I like that. Uh, I can I can sure. go. Okay, so I just want to preface this real quick by saying that, like, Chris, when you had suggested we watch this movie, I was kind of intrigued by the idea, to be honest, because I had never seen this before. Um, I liked a lot of Tony Scott movies. Mm-hmm. I like Richard Kelly a lot. So I was like, this, yeah, this makes sense. I should finally get around to seeing this. And at the end, when I finished watching it, I was just so turned off <laughs> by this entire thing that I was just like, yeah. on the one hand, my initial response was, I don't fucking know what to do with this. My second thought was just like, this feels weirdly distasteful to me in a way that I can't quite elaborate upon. And I don't know if it's because, again, because the real life Domino had apparently said, this is not how, this is not what my story is. This is not who I am. And so maybe it feels kind of gross to me because like, this is a movie about a real person who was alive through most of the actual movie mm-hmm. and then died, you know, at some point during the production of the movie. And so never afterward got to outright be like, this is not how this happened. This is not who I am, blah, 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 blah. And so maybe that's why like this movie feels so kind of gross to me. And, you know, and I, I've liked other bio picks occasionally. I've liked other things based on true stories that I know have fabricated aspects to them. But for some reason, there's just something about this that like is icky to me. And I can't elaborate upon why that is, except to say maybe it has something to do with that. So the thing that I would say is that for this, and I, I again, this is probably something that would never happen in real life, because if you're paying all the money to get the rights to Domino Harvey, you're going to Domino Harvey. But what it should have been is it should have been a completely fabricated story inspired by Domino Harvey. And so it could just be a 
about this girl. A different name right, even. right. Yes, exactly. Completely different. It could just be like about this girl who had like very rich, fancy parents and decided to throw that all away and become a bounty hunter. I also think that again, because the Monique subplot is the one that I kind of glommed onto the most of this movie, there should be more of an ensemble style movie. So it should not just be about Domino, the character, because I also I think that this movie is not entirely interested with Domino when it comes to the plot. <laughs> so I think that Domino should just be like one of several major characters in this movie. You know, you can have like Domino and Mickey Rourke being like the central characters. You can have Delroy Lindo and Monique being important characters. And maybe it's just kind of dealing with that. And so I do like the idea that, you know, I, I do think this there's an interesting story here somewhere. The idea that they're trying to get money for Monique's granddaughter so that she doesn't die. So they like spin out this elaborate scheme to try mm-hmm. and get this money that just kind of goes completely south. And I like that. And I think that that allows you also to take it into a heightened place because you're not even pretending that this is based on any kind of reality. Right. So I, honestly, that's just what I would do. I wish this was not based in any sort of real world story about who Domino Harvey ostensibly was. Yep. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a good idea. Um, y'all go last. I, I, I definitely feel similar to you, Brendan. I, I was, like, watching this, and I, I remember just, like, somebody, some other group thread was, like, messaging when I was watching this movie, and I was, because I was, like, on my mind, and, like, I was just like, guys, don't watch Domino. <laughs> don't watch it. I need to warn you about it this. It was a mistake. If you were ever considering watching this movie, don't do it. I haven't finished it yet, but I feel ready to give that <laughs> Like, I was just like, man, this was a mistake. Because I don't think any of us had seen it, right? I Chris had. had. You had to. Yeah. Okay. Chris, I thought because, it was right. another... Chris suggested it because he had seen it. I thought it was another blind no. work, and I was no. like, man, I thought we stopped doing these for a reason. I... <laughs> we did that. We do, well, we do yeah. no longer do but them for a reason. Just to be clear, I, I had seen it once a long time ago. Yeah, I remember no, it could thinking, be tough. I remember thinking it was very strange and singular. I had no illusion that it was good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Okay. That, that can be tough. But like, I do think that there was stuff to talk about. For sure, we just talked a lot yeah. about it. But I was like, man, this is rough. And I had just... Agree. I have nothing to talk like what am I gonna say so what I think I'm gonna do here is just like tear it apart and just take a movie that kind of like what I do when I really don't like a movie and I just say like I want to fuck this vaguely make a movie <laughs> right. about the same, the same right. thing so I like the idea that you brought up that it could have been like a kiss kiss bang bang thing mm, or like yeah. a burn up for reading thing or maybe you didn't maybe I said kiss kiss bang maybe you, you said, uh, yeah I said burn up for reading you said kiss kiss I like kiss kiss bang yeah. bang so I what I kind of think it should be is what if, again, it's not a... It, we're we're going to take Domino, the real person, out of the equation. This is just about a rich person, a privileged girl from either Hollywood or from rich society. Mm-hmm. One of those things, or both, whatever, who either is dissatisfied with it. And, and I think that she is kind of like... Um, badass already. Like, I think that she is kind of a troublemaker and she does know a lot. And she's like got a lot of tricks up her sleeve. But she's untested in, like, the grimy under, underbelly of, like... You know the the, the actual world. real yes. yeah. Um, so and she's not bounty hunter of the year yet. She's not bounty hunter of the year. <laughs> That's yet. the end of the movie. So what I want to do is do a kiss kiss bang bang style thing with that, where it's got Choco and Ed, and it's it ends up being kind of more of like a found family situation, yeah. where it's like a mixture of this like reverent comedy, but it's also kind of like a little heartwarming by the mm-hmm. end. Yeah, where it's like. Maybe it's I don't know if I wanted to start with like an actual reality show thing where because she's like a rich person or a celebrity that like she is like, oh, you're going to go with these bounty hunters mm-hmm. because like you have a black belt right. or something like that. And like, we're going to follow you around and you're going to do it. And they're like, oh, whatever. Or if she just decides like I'm going to up and do it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like the idea that there's like it's not just like. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, where Robert Downey Jr.'s character is always on the back foot and is always, like, stumbling. And it's, everything that happens is always his fault. Right. Like, it's always his fuck up. I kind of like the idea that they're, like, it's sort of a 
both and everyone's a fucking up a little bit. Yeah. Like, I kind of like the idea that maybe they have to go to a bar at some point <laughs> and like like Choco ends up getting his drink, like drinking a roofie because like he takes her drink yeah. and she's like, obviously they spiked right, my drink. Right. <laughs> what are you thinking? Yeah. Um, and I like the idea also that like the whole arm cutting off thing is her, like it, that's her doing it because yeah. like that's how she interpreted the request right, and they're right. like, what do you mean you cut his arm off? <laughs> we just meant to look at yeah. his arm and she's like, you said remove the arm. Yeah. I removed it. And they're just like, astounded by the fact that she cut off a man's arm um so I, I yeah i kind of like the idea that they're like mutual there's like you know there are things that she does really well and there are things she doesn't do really well and likewise there are times where they have to go into like high like society, high society yeah. and like they don't do well there and yeah. she has to coach them on that and yeah i would just kind of do it like that where they where they kind of like they they're they bought their butting heads a lot and by the end of it they she decides to like quit her her former life and just go with these bounty hunters <laughs> Like, permanently. That's so, yeah. fun. I like, I like that. That sounds fun. <laughs> that yeah. sounds fun. Yeah. Big question. I think Liam had tipped where she was falling on this. But <laughs> no! Would you recommend that? <laughs> no! I, so Tip here's the thing. The question out. I 100% agree with you. You should not see this. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, I find the screenplay interesting. I think the screenplay is very interesting, but because it's saddled with the visual sense yeah, of yeah. this movie, it is nigh unwatchable. And it's so too long. Is, yeah. so is your, it is also too long. Is your next project to, to stage a remake? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, just do, to do like the Gus Van Sant psycho with this script yes. and just like make my own version of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I do think this is probably an interesting screenplay. And so it is yeah. an interesting story to see unfold. But my God, so fucking exhausting to watch that I could not in good conscious recommend this to anyone i i'm afraid i have to agree uh my suggestion to do this movie was more about i knew it would be a good pod movie in terms yeah of i mean there's like like they said too there's a lot to and talk about richard in this kelly movie. Be, it's another richard kelly joint and just whenever we can i want to take him in that uh, as they say was domino that was the domino and they fell where they may <laughs> and we all fall down yeah, we all fall down <laughs> and we all fall down and we all fall down um, Facebook.com slash whywatchpodcast. Rappack.com is the actual website. Uh, obviously, subscribe to us, follow us, whatever they're fucking calling yeah. it now on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, whatever else it is. We're, mm. we're, we're trying to we're be there. there. And uh, yeah, come come back in two weeks and we'll have a mini and talk about what movie we'll do next. Yep. Yeah. And for now, we'll just say <laughs> bye. 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 She's a fucking player, baby. She's a nasty little player. She's a player everywhere. She's a slayer to all those boys out there. And let me tell you something. You need to get some revenge, baby, because...